0: Well, good morning, Lakeview. Wow, this isn't math class. Come on, Lakeview. You can do better than that. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's much better. So quickly about me. My name's Eric. Uh, My beautiful wife, Kim, is around here somewhere. We are one of the original families from Lakeview. Uh, We started in Brian's uh, living room a long time ago. And I know what you're thinking. Eric, you don't look a day over 22. How could that be? And I love you guys. Thank you. So... Hold you all near and dear to my heart, but no. Um, to go through what we went through planting this church and to see all of you here today is just, it blesses my heart. It's such a privilege and an honor to be here. So uh, before we jump into the word, let's pray. Father God, you are good. You are always good, and you cannot change that. Lord, we submit to you this day. We pray, Lord God, that uh, you would speak through my lips, Father God, to touch the hearts of everyone here, including my own. We submit this time to you and pray that it may bring you glory and honor, and that we may leave here encouraged and refreshed and more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we start, I just want to ask, what do you guys think the main marks of a Christian should be, of a Christ follower, of the church? Go ahead, get wild, shout them out, just no wrong answer. Unless you say serial killer, then we're going to have to have a conversation after church, but... No, God. What are what are the marks? Spirit led. Amen. Yeah, they're great ones. Yeah, all true. Faith. Amen. That's a good one. Might see where I'm going with that. All right. So, as human beings, our challenges remain largely the same. Some may be amplified during certain points in history, but I I really think this passage speaks to us now in our current culture. I think it it hits home in a a different way than maybe in the past. So for a little context, uh, we're reading in Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the greatest stories in the Bible of all time. He went from terrorist and persecutor of the early church to converted Christian, and one of the greatest evangelists and authors of the Bible. He wrote nearly half of the New Testament, he traveled all throughout the region, uh, planting churches. He was writing this letter to the, a small church he had established in Philippi. And uh, he was in prison, uh, awaiting trial from the Emperor Nero, who was not a man who was known for being just or kind. Now, if you were in prison falsely, what would you be doing? I think I'd be calling a lawyer. I'd be grabbing that dental floss when no one's around at night, sawing so through the bars, right, because it works in the movies. <laughs> Trying to get out. That's not what Paul did. Paul's concern was for the church. He was looking to shepherd them, disciple them. He cared more about them than he did about himself. He even shared the gospel with the prison guards. And that blossomed to many people coming to faith. It was an amazing story. So Paul writes the church a letter that's both challenging and encouraging. Now, he had heard that there was some division within the church. We don't, we're not told what it is. But he addresses that, and then he encourages them. So let's take a look at the challenge. It should be right up here on the screen. If you don't have, if you have a Bible, you could turn to Philippians chapter two. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He exhorts them, encouraging them to see the life. Enabled by the spirit that they were given in Jesus. Tells them be of the same mind. Same love. Being in full accord. One mind. Again, he repeats that. So what does it look like today? As a church. in In this age we live in. To be of one mind. Or have the same love. Do you ever think about why there's so much division within the church among Christ followers? It shouldn't be. Paul says that you, me, being a Christ follower, have encouragement in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You can do this together. You know Now more than ever, we have the propensity to label things, including ourselves. Don't buy into it. Look at the person sitting next to you. Go ahead, just take a look around. Take a look at Lakeview. Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. No one here is a left Christian, a right Christian, woke or not, Mac or PC, right? Don't believe the labels. Don't let the enemy Use them. The enemy loves to drive a wedge in, separate people, isolate people, and then he can go to town on them. Don't believe it. We are all Christians. Your brother sitting next to you might be a finger, you might be a toe, and the next one might be an eye, but we're all part of one body. Don't let the enemy use that. So he speaks about being a full accord. What does that mean? Well, that means being harmonious in our actions, in our thoughts, in our speech. We work together, not against each other, right? So what are one of the first steps towards harmony? Well, it's studying scripture. We need to know scripture. It's knowing God's word. It's knowing what he says about us. It's knowing what he says about himself. It's knowing what he says and who he says we are and what he has done for us. You know, we all have an identity, but our true identity is in Christ as children of God. When we come at life from that perspective, then we can be alike in our thoughts, our actions, and our interactions. The world is watching us. We are the body of Christ. The world is watching how we interact with each other. It's watching what we say. It's watching what we post online. Now, are we attracting the world to Christ, or do we look like the world? It's a challenge, something to think about with social media and all the other things that are going on now. So that's our goal here, is to make Christ known. We can't do it if the world sees us fighting amongst ourselves, right? Criticizing each other, labeling each other. There's so much power in a unified church body. God can use it in such incredible ways. Let's strive for that together. You know, I can remember early on, Pastor Brian had this vision. He, and I don't know, he's probably talked about it lately. But he said, I want Lakeview to be a church that... Th- If we were all just kind of like in the left behind, right? Just gone. The church just disappeared, wasn't there the next Sunday. He said, I want the community to be sad. I want the community to say, we miss them. We may not have believed what they believe, but we miss them. They were a light. They had a positive impact on our community. And we do that by being of the same mind, being united. So that's our, that was Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi, and it's our encouragement here now. It's timeless. It applies. So next, let's take a look, a look at what it looks like to fulfill this charge. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's a tough first. Let's read it again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's a tough one. There's that H word. We don't like talking about that H word. I don't like talking about that H word, right? It made, the, preparing this, was a, honestly, it was a gut punch for me, and I was hoping that it would be because it made me realize, wow, how much do I talk about humility with my children? How much am I teaching them that godly attribute? How much am I encouraging them? How much do we talk about it amongst each other? Right? Is it dinner conversation? Is it something we ask God for regularly? Do we really even know what humility means? Because humility can be wildly misinterpreted. So let's define it. Humility. A modest or low view of one's own importance. Humbleness. Ooh. So that's, that's not great. All right. Well, what if we divine humble? Maybe that'll make it a little better, right? Reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of deference or submission. Yeah. No. Doesn't make it any better. Wait a minute. That only applies to those first and second century Christians, right? That doesn't apply today. We've evolved past that, haven't we? we come on, that's silly. We don't need that, right? I mean, Instagram tells me humility's stupid. I mean, come on. It's not. It's a challenge for us. It's a way of life as a Christ follower. But let's make sure that we understand what scripture is actually saying, not what it's not saying. Humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking less about myself. It's about taking on an attitude of selflessness. Like the passage says, It's looking to the interests of others as much as, if not more than my own. It's not about beating myself down with some self loathing attitude, but it's taking on a servant's heart, living and thinking selflessly. Brothers and sisters, it is one of the defining marks of a Christ follower. It's important. We're called to it. You know, humility is not only a mindset that we're called to, but it's a complete shift in our perspective, right? It changes the way we see not only ourselves, but others. It changes the way we view our possessions, right? Our titles, our finances, even our spouses. Things that once were a burden are now an opportunity. What was a frustrating circumstance that took up our time is now a joyful moment to serve. So, how does this play out in life? You know, what does it look like to live in humility? How do we put it into practice? Well, first, I want to tell you a story that shows what humility does not look like. So at my job, I work on equipment that's worth millions of dollars. We work on sensitive things that with one wrong move, we could black out parts of Manhattan. You don't want to be that guy. We can get very deep, very technical, and I enjoy that. You know, there's a, there's a lot of challenge in it, but it's exciting to fix things and come through on the other side. Then some days I come into work, and I see the dreadful words on my daily assignment. Vegetation, removal. really? Serious? Is this a joke? Yesterday, we got customers' power back faster than ever before, and we saved a tragedy. And today, you want me to pull weeds? You know, that's what goes on in my head. Is this a joke? Really? But that's the wrong attitude. There's no humility in that. You know, I'm dead wrong. I know that my job could have me saving a hospital from losing power one day, and I could be shoveling rocks the next it's the nature of the job. It's always been that way since I signed up. So what changed? It's me. It's my attitude. I'm thinking more of myself than I should. And I'm not above any task, which is exactly where Christ calls us all to be. So let me tell you another story. Uh, those of you who know us have probably heard this story a few times, but it's a story uh, that I will tell until the day I die. It's an amazing story. So Back in 2005, my wife and I bought a one-bedroom condo that we thought was a good deal at the time. And then the housing market crashed. We were upside down by more than 50%. We couldn't sell it if we wanted to. 2008, our first child came. So we shared the bedroom with her. It was okay. We made it work. 2011, our little guy came along. Things got more challenging. We gave them the bedroom, right? We... Left in the living room. Since so it was a one bedroom. We went through I don't know how many air mattresses. You know how those things you blow them up once and then the next day they have a hole in them somewhere, some mystery. I don't know where those things come from. So we finally, you know, we were getting desperate. So we finally saved up and bought what we had researched was the best pullout couch made on the market. And oh, it was amazing you know because we were tired of waking up on the floor like the thing is deflated there's a bubble in between us and your back is killing you you know this is awful so we went through the daniel fast uh, and one of the things we asked for god was to blow our minds with a solution to our problem you know we were really trying our best trying not to be bitter but it was so hard and then one day one of our friends came over uh, i was at work to pray with um, my wife kim And she had asked about the situation, how things were progressing, what it was like. They prayed together. It was great. And the next day, Kim calls me at work and said, uh, call her Sally. Sally just called me. Said she has to come over right now. I said, what did you say to her yesterday? Like, what what happened? She said, I don't know. She won't tell me. She said she has to come over. I said, okay. Then I get a phone call a little bit later. And she said, I get chills still thinking about this. She she came to our condo and said, we were up all night praying and my husband and I want you to live in our house and we're going to move into your condo. And the first thing that my wife says, you guys need to pray some more. (laughs) You're crazy. That's no, right? But long story short, it happened. We completely traded places and it was one of the most incredible blessings we've ever experienced in our entire lives. You see, they didn't have to do that they earned the money to pay for that house. They didn't have to go from living in a really large house with five acres to an 875-square-foot condo with zero acres, right? But they didn't see it that way. They viewed it as God's. And they didn't have a view that they deserved it more than we did, which was wild. It changed the trajectory of our lives forever. We were, in turn, able to help a single mom who was really handicapped be able to live in a first-floor condo that she desperately needed and couldn't afford. It blessed us beyond measure. It led up to us being able to purchase our current home. It helped a single mom out for several years. And I think if you asked that couple, they'd tell you that it brought them closer together as well. It made no sense from the worldly perspective. They were looking to the needs of others. They didn't view themselves as more important or more deserving. They heard God's call, they obeyed. And blessings flowed and continue to flow from that story. Amazing things happen, church, when we obey. Their attitude of humility was such an incredible example for us. It shifted our perspective, and we really appreciate that to this day. So let's continue on and see how it happens as we look at this early church hymn that Paul quotes next. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So before we jump into that, there's just one small disclaimer. I know that throughout history, this this particular passage has created some doubt as to Jesus' godliness, right? So when it says that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, the scripture is not saying that Jesus wasn't fully God. He was. It is saying that Jesus took on human form in addition to his standing as God. He was God, and as God, there are certain privileges that come along with that. He released some of those privileges when he took on humanity. It didn't make him less than God but he humbled himself by adding human nature to his godly nature, not by taking anything away. So That's just, just a little bit of a side note. So what does it say? It says Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself. The God of the universe humbled himself for our sake. Let's look briefly at the account of the Last Supper in John chapter 13. So a little context, right? In those days, the roads were just, beaten down past the dirt, right? They were dusty, they were dirty, they were muddy. They were just littered with animal excrement, right? Because that was the mode of transportation for those that had the money. The temperature was hot. People, their footwear was sandals made out of rope and leather. So you could imagine a five-minute walk would render your feet absolutely disgusting, let alone an entire day's journey in them, right? Right? So the tradition was that upon arrival at a home, the lowliest of the servants of the household would wash the guests' feet. But this time, their feet had not been washed. So Jesus got up. He took off his outer garments. He wrapped a towel around his waist and began to wash all of their feet. Jesus did that, not the lowly servant. The God of the universe stooped down, took the dirty Smelly, sweaty feet of the disciples with their nasty, hairy toes, dirt caked in there, right? It's disgusting. It's so gross. He washed them with their just foot juices getting all over him. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it, to think about how humbling it is, you really have to understand how disgusting it is. But he also did it. He washed the feet of the one he knew would betray him. And he did that for them. He does that for us. He says, "Now that I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet." That same Spirit that indwelt Jesus lives in us. We're empowered as Christ followers to do the same thing. We have the strength. Jesus knew what the Father required of him. The Scripture says he emptied himself, took the form of a servant—a servant, the God of the universe. How did he humble himself? He humbled himself by obedience to God the Father. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, a punishment reserved for the lowly, common criminal. Praise God that we aren't all called to die physically for our faith, right? That could only be done by Jesus. Some of us may, but it's not for the same purpose that he did. We're all called to die to self in obedience to God, to the Father. You see, the Christian walk requires humility. Humility to understand our standing before God. Humility to live out the life he calls us to. We can all disobey. We have that choice. We can strive to make much of this world, to gain great things for ourselves, right? Make that the focus of our lives. Or we can choose to live in humility, to be obedient to the one true God to listen to Jesus' commands. And that doesn't mean we won't be blessed with much because often when we're humbly generous and serve well, God blesses us with more so we can be a a continued blessing to others. King Solomon is known as the wisest man in the whole Bible, right? He was King David's son. He was tasked with building the temple. And if you read the descriptions of that, it was the most ornate, gorgeous building ever produced. It was incredible, the amount of gold and silver. It was, in our time, like, Hundreds of billions of dollars worth of money poured into the temple. He was probably the wisest, if not one of the wisest men of all time. He had everything that this world could offer in the physical realm. Riches that so far exceed the likes of Elon Musk and Bill Gates, right? He had servants, chariots, horses, the most incredible food, property, possessions. And what was his conclusion? That every time in his life, and he did, he strayed from God sometimes. Every time he chased after wealth, power, possessions, without God, it was meaningless. Without God, it was all meaningless. It had no value. He had everything. He knew. He understood. And what did he conclude at the end of his life? Ecclesiastes 12 tells us, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Humble obedience to God is our duty as Christ followers. That means we have a duty to each other. When we humble ourselves, we see so many opportunities to be Jesus' hands and feet to others. When we're thinking about less product, we want to buy next from the Apple Store. That's my personal problem. They make it so nice and shiny and always looks great, right? And isn't it ironic that their logo looks strangely like the no, the fall of man, the first fruit, right? So... <laughs> and we start thinking about more what Jesus has done for us, we'll be humbled. We'll still want to serve. It won't be so much as an obligation, but more of an opportunity. Our eyes will be opened in all reality. We will be set free. You know, humility doesn't sound appealing until you realize why God calls us to it. Try it. See the amazing doors that God opens for you. So let's look together at how it ends. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is sort of just a simple equation, right? Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. Humility leads to exaltation. That doesn't make sense to the worldly mindset, does it? It's quite the opposite. And it's because God's principles typically are the opposite of what the world tells us, right? What does the Apostle Peter say? First Peter 5, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So let's be sure we understand that Jesus is, is the object of our worship. He alone is exalted to that level. Scripture isn't saying that we're going to be elevated to some level of deity or anything like that, as that's what caused the first sin, right? But God will come alongside us. He'll lift us up when we humble ourselves before him and faithfully serve. It's not about being elevated to a place where people will worship us, but God, he lifts us up as we obey. So there it is again. Humble yourself that God may exalt you. God is the one we want to lift us up, not men. Their praise is worthless. It may feel good for the moment, but it's not lasting. Chase after the exaltation that comes from the one from whom it really matters. Again, the equation is really simple. Obedience leads to humility. Humility leads to exaltation. So in closing... At the end of the passage, we write a promise that every knee shall bow. We will all be humbled, either now or then. Which will you choose? You can humble yourself now and experience the amazing plans and participation in the spirit that God blesses us with. Or be defiant and be humbled at the end. There's a big difference, and I think we all know which is the right choice, right? So here's the challenge from Paul, brothers and sisters. Take hold of Jesus' love. Strive to know the scriptures. Memorize them. Understand who you are, what your standing is before God, what it says about each other. Live in harmony with each other. Don't let anything divide you. Be united and follow the equation. Obedience leads to humility. Humility leads to exaltation. So be set free, my brothers and sisters. Let's pray together.